point. So what exactly is a stronghold? A stronghold is a collection of thoughts or ideas that over time, uh, it's that they become in agreement with Satan's lies and accusations against the truth of God. They are lies about who God is, what God does. And when we receive them, they bind our hearts, our minds, and actions to darkness. Because we are in agreement with the enemy, he has access into our lives, our communities, our culture, and our nations. So a stronghold uh, is something through which the enemy, principalities, and powers can reign through in our own lives. And uh, before we ever take on principalities and powers of darkness and of the, high, of the high realm, we've got to deal with the strongholds in our own life. And we'll see why in a little bit. Uh, someone once wrote, Satan trembles when the weakest Christian gets down on their knees and prays. And I absolutely believe that that is true. Uh, we've seen that, I think, over the last three, four days as we've gathered together every night to pray. Now, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare because that's what uh, breaking through strongholds and principalities and powers is. Spiritual warfare could be one of the most misunderstood and abused practices in the church. In other church settings, it is the least utilized and practiced, uh, uh, I don't know what you'd say, in the church. I, I think if the enemy can't stop spiritual warfare, then what he is going to do is he's going to try to stigmatize it through flakiness. He's going to try to stigmatize it through abuse, through misuse, and through imbalance. He would really like us to get so out there, uh, honestly, just so out there, so unbiblical in our spiritual warfare that we're not effective. Conversely, he would also like us to get so fearful of it because of the controversy that can be around it that we throw out the baby with the bathwater. And either way, he's won, right? Because spiritual warfare is, is real. The enemy knows it's real. I think for many who were taught in the 70s and 80s when spiritual warfare teaching was at its apex in popularity and focus, churches always had their demon-busting, spirit-binding, you know, spirit-loosing people that we would just kind of look at and go like, here we go, Right? Because there was, there was imbalances. They were looking for evil spirits everywhere. I mean, these were the people that loved to loose. They, I mean, they, they were looking for the next stronghold to tear down. They loved uh, uh, the weirder, they, the better, right? You ever heard a demon of nicotine being cast out of somebody? What about the demon of, like, you know, potato chips and sweets? And like, like, everything became... We got to deal with it. I know, I, that's, I struggle with that one. Uh, everything became uh, principalities and powers. You know, I heard one pastor say, people were like, like rebuking the demons under their bed before they went to sleep. That's that imbalance we're talking about, right? Let me just say this. Uh, for the people that see demons and everything, there is almost, almost no biblical precedence for people actually physically seeing demons. But there's a lot for people seeing visions of the Lord and of angels. Read your Bible. People aren't going, oh, I saw a spirit, right? But they'll say, I saw an angel. I had a visitation from an angel. I had, that's a whole other, that's in a whole other TSN episode. But not TSN, what's it called? TLC. Yeah, TSN episode. And no, that'd be the Maple Leafs, right? Uh, but, but, you know, I think, there, I think 
it became imbalanced. The point, some people in the body of Christ became imbalanced because they spent more time rebuking Satan than praying to Jesus. They spent more time tearing down strongholds than they did building up uh, godliness. Focus more on evil out there than claiming the promises of God. And again, here's the problem with that, okay? Uh, I don't know why my pages won't turn here. Most, okay, most, not all, so don't misquote me on that, but most spiritual warfare isn't waged by directly confronting demons, principalities, and powers, especially over cities and nations. I didn't say all of it, but I said most of it isn't waged that way. Just as there are levels of authority in the church and the kingdom of God, there's also an authority structure in the demonic realm. And we see that in Ephesians 6.12. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, and against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And in that verse, there's actually a progression of authority, a progression of rank. It, if there wasn't, uh, Paul would have just said, hey, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, you know, spiritual. But he, he says rulers and authorities and powers. And so here's, here's what I'm trying to illustrate. I'm not sure how much authority an individual believer, again, this isn't a rule. This is just generally, okay? I don't know how much authority an individual really has to tear down uh, principality and power that's over the nation of Canada. Right? Now, we're, I'm going to touch on something in a minute as we're led by the Spirit. So, let, let's look at a community of 100,000 people, okay? I'm not sure how much authority I would have in a community of 100,000 people to come on my own and just start to tear down the, the powers that be on my own. I'm not saying I have no authority. I'm just saying I don't think I have much authority. However, if a church or congregation got together, let's say a church of uh, 200 people got together, and, and out of that church of 200, 100 of them got together for, for a couple of nights, and they came in agreement and says, we just feel that, that we can come against the principalities and powers over our community. There's more authority, because there's an authority structure in the church too. That's why Lone Range Lone, Lone Ranger Ministries and Lone Ranger Gifts of the Spirit people don't have a lot of authority. They have a lot of puff and smoke, but not a lot of authority. Because just like in the demonic realm, there's authority structures, so in the church, there's an authority structure. I've had people look at me and say, well, what gives you the right and not me? And do you know what I tell them? I say, it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because as a pastor, I'm under authority. I'm under authority. And that's protection and it's accountability. But to be under authority means you have more authority. Right? So when a church gets together, so 50 to 100 people get together and start to pray. And they come in agreement. And there's that sense, this seems right to us in the Holy Spirit. There's an authority in that. But do you know that there's more authority in that city of 100,000 if 12 churches that are Bible-believing, they believe that in, in Jesus Christ as Savior, they believe in the Scriptures, and they say, we feel that we need to get together and take a stand against the principalities and powers. Now there's even more authority. Do you know why? Because Christ has given his authority to the church. And the more that we can set aside 
our denominations and our differences and come together in agreement, the more power and authority there is over the principalities and powers in that city. That's why when you have movements where you've got entire countries who say across denominations, across on this date, at this time we're going to pray, and they say that they immediately see the effects in government and in, in poverty and in, in, in things happening in that country because the church of Jesus comes together and takes authority. Right? So, by the way, this is free. Okay? What I'm going to say right now is free. That's why the devil works so hard to keep us separated by denomination, doctrine, and other things. That's why the devil hates Wednesday night prayer meeting more than he probably hates Sunday morning church. Because in Wednesday night prayer meeting, when we come together in agreement, there is an authority there in prayer. Because we're doing it in agreement. Uh, do you know, I have more authority when I pray with you than I do at home, alone. Because that's accountability. That's, that's where two or three agree. See, and you know what the key word is there? People think it's two or three. The key word is agree on touching anything. Because the check and balance is if I say, okay, John, let's take on this principality and power. And, and John and Trudy look at me and go like, we think you're missing it a little bit. I got a choice. Do I submit and pray through, or do I walk away and go, fine, I'll do it myself? When two or three agree, we say, man, there's something right about this. We've talked it through. We've prayed it through. The Spirit of God is, is agreeing amongst us. All of a sudden, Jesus says he's there, and he's adding his blessing to it. Where two or three agree. That's why the devil loves denominations that don't get along and people in churches that don't get along, because it strips us of the authority that we would have in agreement. Make sense? So do you already see how strongholds in our lives strip us of our authority to take down principalities and powers? Right? Because strongholds uh, usually have to do with a lot on this realm. Uh, anyways, we'll look at that in a minute, okay? So of course there's exceptions. The Spirit may move an individual believer to come against something in the nation, something in their community, something... Uh, he, he, he will do that. But where we've got to be careful is that we don't stand up and go, I'm one who's got revelation, Jill. The Spirit's downloading to me. And no, no, no. You know what he's probably doing? He's probably raising up 5,000 other people all around to stand up and pray at the same time. So there's an orchestration going on that we don't even realize. Right? Because the Spirit, that's why we need to be led by the Spirit in our prayers. Because if, if the Spirit can't get it done and He wants it done and He can't get it done in an individual congregation, He'll just raise people up. We think that we're standing alone, but we're not. Make sense? Are you still tracking with me? All right. So this, this is a principle, not a hard, fast rule. Okay? Everything I'm saying is a principle. Most of the biblical examples presented by the apostles, the early church, and Jesus Himself was to confront demonic powers as they possessed, oppressed, and afflicted individuals. Not to rebuke uh, principalities and powers over a city. I want you to think about that. When Jesus Christ got out of the boat in the area of, of Gennesaret, remember when the demoniac ran to him? It's interesting. It says that when Jesus' feet touched the shore, the demons came around. Remember, there was a legion in the guy. They were principalities and powers over the area because when you read the one account, they say, do not 
make us leave the area. Don't send us to Hades. And another account says, and don't let us leave the area. And that word area means geographical region. So those were principalities and powers that were ruling in, in the air of, like over the, the spiritual climate of that area, but were living inside this man. This man was kind of the, their home and they were working from him in the area. And when Jesus sets the man free, they go, don't send us out of the area. And Jesus says, fine, go in the pigs. And the pigs go in the water. And do you know what the demons did? They went, they went back to that area in their rule and authority. And do you know how we know that? Because there was no change in the area because they asked Jesus to leave, remember? So Jesus saw the individual set free, but the principalities and powers that were over the area stayed the same because Jesus didn't make them leave the area, and they, but they made Jesus leave the area. The people did, who were under their dominance. So even in Jesus' ministry, when he stepped onto the ground, there was a shift in the balance of power. Like those, that legion of demons came running because they went, we, we've just been stripped of our authority. They could feel it. But why did Jesus do it? Did he go it to stand there and go, okay, you principalities in power over the Gennesaret region, I rebuke you. No, he came to set one captive free. Actually, two, but they talk about the one. He came to set somebody free. Did you realize that? So even Jesus, when he, even Jesus in his, again, this isn't a rule, but it's a general biblical principle. Jesus generally didn't take on the principalities and powers in the air, Jesus, but Jesus would confront the demons that were oppressing, afflicting, or uh, uh, possessing individuals. Okay? So the usual pattern, the usual pattern to overcome principalities and powers is praying to God, declaring the kingdom of God as our primary weapon, and confronting directly the kingdom of darkness. That comes secondary. Okay, let's look at an Old Testament example. Are you still tracking with me? You are allowed to disagree with me. Okay, you're, you're allowed to do that. Because you can, you can be wrong. You can disagree with me. But it's, it's the same with our teaching on spiritual gifts. I said to Sam, my goal in teaching spiritual gifts isn't to jump into the doctrine and the topic of it. It's to, it's to look at Paul's letters when he deals with them and say, if I was hearing it for the first time, what does the Bible say about it? And that's what I'm trying to do with this. What does the Bible say about this? Okay? And again, I'm not saying I'm the greatest expert in the world on it, but uh, I really believe the Bible is balanced and the Bible tells us how to truly do warfare, right? So if you were to read Daniel 9, the entire chapter is committed to the prayer Daniel prayed directly to God while in a season of fasting and prayer. And in Daniel 10, 12 to 13, after many days of praying and travailing and fasting, he gets an answer from an angel. This is what the angel says. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, there you have, a, there you have principality and power. The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, who we know from Scripture is the archangel, the warrior angel, he came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So, first of all, we gain from this passage an understanding that there's a spiritual battle that is waged between the angels of God and the angels of Satan. Okay? We can all agree on that. There is 
something Frank Peretti-ish going on. I mean, there really is. I'm, I'm being dead serious. There really is. Okay? Secondly, we can see that when we pray, the enemy fights against our answers. We're all in agreement to that, right? I mean, I don't know how many times I have said, probably not too many, but I've said it enough. And I, other people have said, like, yeah, I really want to pray for that, but I know as soon as I do, the enemy is going to move against it, right? Because it's just true. Thirdly, we can see that prolonged, sometimes fervent prayer mixed with fasting is the most powerful tool to break through spiritual strongholds and resistance. Did you notice? Daniel didn't come against the prince of Persia. What did he do? He kept pressing into God and God's power, answer, and breakthrough. So ultimate victory doesn't come because we bound Satan. Although I don't believe in binding Satan, I believe in loosing him. I think we have that backwards in the church. I bind Jesus to people because it's like I'm saying, Jesus, I bind you to carry. So I'm binding her up with the power and the presence of Jesus, and I'm loosing. That word loose, the word when we say we loose you, Jesus, to work, do you know what the root of that word loose is? To tear apart, to crumble the foundations, and to set free. Doesn't that sound like what we should be doing with the enemy when he's over someone's life, right? I saw a cartoon one time, and it was two prayer warriors with their Bibles, and the devil was sitting in a chair just bound by ropes. And they said, well, we've got him bound. What do we do now? And the other person goes, I don't know, bind him again, right? Uh, so the ultimate victory doesn't come because we've bound Satan. And by the way, Pastor Michelle and I were talking about this today. I've heard people say, I come against you and send you back to hell where you belong. We don't have that authority. The Bible's clear. It's Jesus that has that authority. Only Jesus does. We have authority, but we don't decide where they go and when. And I'm just saying that. Like, again, it's not a rule. It's just you don't find that in, uh, too often in Scripture, okay? I think the victory comes because God's power comes to bear on our circumstances. So our main focus must always be on Jesus Christ. So there's three legs of spiritual warfare. With that, in about six minutes, we'll stop, take any questions, uh, and then we're going to go to prayer tonight, okay? Three legs of spiritual warfare that carry us into breakthrough. And again, from here, we're going to launch into next week's discussion next week. First of all, we proclaim God's victory by agreeing with the supremacy of Jesus Christ, his promises, his power, and his will. This is why praise and worship is so important to break through. Can I just say that as we talked about Sunday night, when people start to passionately step into aggressive praise and worship and the presence of God manifests, the more that the presence of God manifests, the less you're going to see the enemy having any influence. It's that simple. The Holy Spirit always drives out the spirit of the enemy. So I think the first thing, the first leg of spiritual warfare is we proclaim God's victory. We can read the prayers and promises of the word. That's what I was trying to do yesterday. I didn't hand you that out to be a control freak yesterday. I, tried, I handed out those, those scripture verses because when you start to read scripture, when you start to read Paul's scripture, when he says, this is my prayer for you as a church, that you be rooted and grounded in love, that you may know the depths of the riches of the mercy of God. When you start to pray that, there's power in that because you are taking what has already been tested and proved to be God's will and God's word, and you're just releasing it, right? And so we proclaim God's victory. We 
We read the prayers and promises of the word. We reflect them back to God, remind him of his promises, and then make prophetic decrees related to the certainty of God's supremacy and his kingdom purposes. You know, secondly, the second leg of spiritual warfare is we confess sin and renounce the works of of Satan and darkness because this breaks our agreement with the enemy. This is why, as I said before, the enemy works so hard and is so devious to build strongholds in the life of believers. It's pretty, let's just look at this practically. It's pretty hard for me to take on a principality and power over here when I'm in agreement with Satan over here because I'm bitter and unforgiving or I'm living in immorality, right? Because I'm in agreement with him. And I started off by talking about strongholds. That's why, that's why so often uh, the devil wants to get us filled with strongholds. Stronghold is a mindset that builds, lets, allows principalities and powers to have influence in my life. And the minute I have a stronghold in my life, it gives the devil legal access to my life. When I have, he has legal access to my life, I no longer have the legal rights to take authority over him. Doesn't that make sense? Right? And I remember, yeah, this is kind of judgmental. She, she's a good girl, loves Jesus now. But I remember back in high school, uh, a girl I went to youth group with would always go to school. She always had that shirt that said, I am a fire-breathing, spirit-filled, demon-stomping. The devil better get away from me because I'm going to kick his butt, open up a can of whoop, you know, and blah, 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 because I'm the devil's worst nightmare. And yet, you know, she was sleeping with her boyfriend, and I thought, really? Do you really think you're the devil's nightmare? You can wear the T-shirt, but it doesn't mean a whole lot. Conversely, you had the pastor's kid, you know, me, it was doing all the same things. Uh, one of them being judgment. <laughs> but, I mean, do, do you see how silly it is? Do you see how silly it is? Like, we were all waging war against Satan, and we were all judgmental and immoral and, and only half-hearted Christians, and we were tearing down the strongholds over Tilsonburg, tearing down the strongholds over our high school, coming against Satan here and coming against Satan there, and we were all just living pretty much in agreement with the devil anyways. Do you know what the devil does? He laughs. He goes, keep rebuking me again, because it's kind of funny. So we confess sin and renounce the works of Satan. So when I have a stronghold, I protect that stronghold, I justify it, I make excuses for it, and yet it's from that very stronghold, Satan and I have come into agreement. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Do you see the breakthrough potential in that verse alone? Submit to God. We agree with God, right? We said that's the first leg. Then we resist the devil. That's renouncing the works of sin and the works of enemy through repentance. So James 4, 7 is such an important verse in personal breakthrough. Submit to God. Resist the devil. You can't. I don't know about you, but I've tried just resisting the devil in one area of my life, but not submitting to God in another area of my life, and that's a total disaster as well. Okay? Thirdly, we do the works of the kingdom. Matthew eleven twelve, From the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. 
One of the most powerful principles I learned about overcoming principalities and powers was to flow, was to act, was to live in the opposite spirit. Uh, that's why the fruit of the Spirit is in direct contrast to the works of the flesh. Because it's flowing in the opposite spirit. A stronghold can resist the working. Let's, say, let's talk about a church. A stronghold can resist the working and effectiveness of a church body by gaining a foothold through a collection of people who perpetuate a wrong spirit or belief. I, I, know, that, I know there's church bashers out there. Careful. I don't mean out there. I just mean generally. Jesus Christ died for the church and gave himself for her, right? But there's also people that believe that everything that happens in the church is the will of Jesus, and that's absolutely not true either. A stronghold can come over a church that hinders the work of Jesus. I didn't say it stops it, but it hinders it through a collection of, of beliefs, and those, that collection of beliefs ends up becoming decisions that are made, and a stronghold is built from it. 